Thank you, Brother Craig. And welcome, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. What a blessing to be here together. And those of you who are joining us online, it's a privilege to have you with us as well. Um, What Brother Craig was just mentioning there is so critical to us as a church family. Uh, As much as we need support here, you know, of course, this is the subject as we get closer to the end of the year, we start thinking budget and those kind of things. But um, just such a blessing to know that not only do we need monies here, but we want to be a church that supports others as well. We've always tried to purpose ourselves that way. And you know that you have supported that very well. So uh, thank you, Brother Craig, for giving us that update. And we'll continue to do this so that you're having at least some knowledge of what's happening with our missionaries as we are giving to them on a regular basis. Okay. All right. Well, again, welcome. It's so good to be here. Can you believe it is almost turkey time? <laughs> so excited. Love, 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 love turkey. going to be great. Somebody told me one time, I hope you eat so much you have to go outside and just take a break. <laughs> That's my plan. All right. Well, it's turkey time, but uh, that's a great time of the year for us to gather together. Let me give you a couple of announcements here. We want you to continue to pray for Brother Danny, Miss Peggy, as we've asked Brother Danny to consider being an elder with us. He has affirmed that in his heart we're in the midst of those 30 days. December the 8th will be the end of those 30 days, and so we'll move forward from that point unless you write to us some epistle of all the reasons why he should not be that way, be uh, considered as an elder. Uh, we will take those seriously. Um, under care. So, uh, but so far, nothing has come in. And so we're praising the Lord for that and looking forward to that. So continue to be in prayer for that. Uh, the code drive is going on until November 29th. There's a box out in the hallway just by the church office door there that you can bring coats to, to give away. Uh, Pacha meals are week for the church is January 16th through the 22nd. If you're interested in doing that, we have information that we can get to you about that. Uh, I mentioned last week about the Thanksgiving with the halls, and somebody said, is that really just with the halls? Is that something they're doing? And I was saying that kind of jokingly, but no, it's really something that Hamp and Chris have desired to do over the years and have been doing, uh, but it's really a church-wide Thanksgiving. So if you have nowhere else to be on Thursday, please come join. I know you'll have a great time uh, of fellowship there as we celebrate our, our country on that day. Christmas Eve service will be happening at 5 p.m. And speaking of that, uh, Missy has asked me to make mention that right after the service, she's asking for any of you parents who have children that can be a part of that kids program to meet her right here for a a quick practice uh, just after this service. Okay, they'll be real careful of of all of the COVID thing, but um, that's right after this uh, service. And then finally, men, I mentioned last week about a men's meeting on December the 4th. If you're interested in that, and this is really important, if you're interested, please sometime this week let me know, okay, either by email, text, whatever, you can call me. Uh, just let me know if you're interested in being a part of that. Very, very important. That's going to be December the 4th at 6 p.m., but we'll keep that uh, information in front of you as we go through our days, okay? All right, I think that's it. No, it's not it. Thank you for raising your hand, young, man, young lady. Today is one year since... Dave and Roylene adopted officially Rennie. That's right. She's going like this. Me. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Very exciting day. This is her gotcha day. Her gotcha day. And we're blessed that we gotcha. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Okay. Well, let's pray and let's get into the 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 word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this joy and this privilege to gather to sing songs of praise to you. 
Lord, how our hearts are just so overjoyed as we come together personally here. And we just thank you for the joy of lifting up our hearts to you in worship. Lord, thank you for calling us and making us your church and your family. And now we desire to hear from you. And so, Lord, uh, we know that we cannot live this life without you. There's just no way. And so we pray that you would fill us with your presence this morning, that we would feel just a special touch from you as you instruct us about this life, that you would encourage us and help us in these days. And uh, Lord, there is no doubt you'll do that. And so we look to that this morning, look to you and honor you for what you're going to give to us. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are at a very, very, very important section of Matthew's gospel. In fact, one of the, if not the most important message of the sermon, in my opinion, because it's so practical. We're going to talk about the subject of worry today, okay? I know that's what you're really excited about. I know you're just anxious to come here to the church to study about worry. Well, we're going to do that today, okay? Now, I'm going to use the word worry and anxious or um, anxiety synonymously, okay? So you'll know that I'm talking about the same thing, but that's going to be the plan. And so this is going to be part one. We're not going to get through all of this, but this once we're done, we will finish chapter six. Woohoo! How about that? It's only been 65 years, and, uh, but we're doing okay. So... This is titled, The Sin of an Anxious Heart, all right? The Sin of an Anxious Heart, and this is going to be part one, all right? Now, for those of you that have been with us, you know that we always normally like to go verse by verse, thought upon thought, idea upon idea, so that we get the full meaning of God's Word, uh, and if that's not been you, if you're new to the Word of the Lord, just hold steady and just continue to join with us, whether here or online. And uh, we're going to just continue to study until the Lord comes back. And our desire is to know you, to know him. And uh, the way we do that is through careful examination of his word. And so uh, we've been studying from chapter 1, verse 1, and we're now in just about to finish up chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has been instructing the people seated around him on the hillside in Jerusalem many, many years ago. And now comes to this incredible study on anxiousness. So let's stand in honor of the Lord and his word, and read verses 25 through 34. Now again, we won't get through all of this today, but I want to give the full idea as the Lord gives it to us so that we're understanding what he's talking about here. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Just look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory himself, in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right. Amen. You may be seated. Powerful. Good stuff. So if there's been any kind of destruction from the effect of sin, in my opinion, it has to be this particular subject. I think sin in its fullness created the devastation of worry that nobody ever thought was possible. And you and I feel that every day, don't you? We know what worry is like. We know what anxiousness is like. We feel it. We live it. We just have it a part of us. It doesn't matter whether you are of a certain age. You know, we like to think that as we grow older, we're going to have less and less anxiousness, but that doesn't seem to be the case because I'm working on that. And that doesn't seem to be the magic bullet, so to speak. It doesn't matter how young you are. There are things that we worry about. There, it doesn't matter what your health is like. It doesn't matter whether you've lived the life that is really doing well in, a, in the health sense. It doesn't matter whether your life has not been so healthy. There are things to worry about. It doesn't matter whether you've been the most popular kid on the block or whether you've been the one that's not been known much by people. It doesn't matter. There's the sense that worry comes with all of that. It doesn't matter what gender you are, whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent or aunt, uncle, cousin, brother, sister, doesn't matter. I personally know people, both men and women and even children, get this now, children that are on anxiety medicine. Okay? Anxiousness, worry, is foreign to no one. It affects Everybody. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what part of the country you live in. Worry is no respecter of people. It doesn't care who you are. It affects you and it affects me. And it shows up every day. In fact, every face on the planet has some residual effect of worry or anxiousness because of something that's gone on in that person's life or some level of it. As I was studying through this, you know, I, I like to make things humorous if I can, and I found this this morning of several things that a person wrote down that create a rotten day. So let me read some of these to you. Number one is, it's really a rotten day when you wake up face down on the pavement. That's a bad day, isn't it? Or when you call the suicide prevention hotline and they put you on hold. <laughs> really bad. Or you see the 60 Minutes news team waiting in your office. Or your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. Or you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. That's a bad day. Or your twin sister forgot your birthday. <laughs> Still not sure how that happened. <laughs> it happens, I guess. I don't know. This, this honestly, I'm sorry, I hope you'll forgive me for this, but this is my favorite. Your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. <laughs> That's a bad day. <laughs> That's just not the makings of a good day. All right, there are a couple others. Your boss tells you not to bother to take off your coat. <laughs> Some of us have experienced that. The bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. You wake up and your braces are locked together. <laughs> you call your answering service and they tell you it's none of your business. <laughs> uh, 
And this is the one we all look forward to, and that is at tax time when your income tax, your income tax check bounces. <laughs> That's a bad day, right? And then if you put your contact lenses in, the same eye. Okay, now, <laughs> so, so <laughs> some of you are laughing at some of those things because it's probably what you've done, right? All right, well, so anyway, the point is, it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what subject we're talking about, whether it's over money or possessions or health or you name it. Whatever the subject is, whatever you're going through, we are never free from worry. I mean, it's just reality in this life. It's like the church pastor who left his church for another one, and he was nervous, and there was a sense of anxiousness in him, and he was hoping to get a little bit of um, edification, I should say, uh, from his leaving or about his leaving. And so when he presented it to the church after being there for many, many years, uh, there was an elderly lady who came up to him afterwards, and she was just sobbing. And she just couldn't believe that the pastor was leaving. And he says, don't worry. He says, I'm, I'm sure that God will provide and already has provided the next man that's going to be a great pastor for you. And she just, in her tears, said, that's what the last three said. And they've just continued to get worse and worse. <laughs> and so, and so and this poor pastor, after a lot of years, you know, was probably had a right to worry about his, his going. I, I don't know. The, again, the point is, there's just a lot to worry about. So can we throw another couple things into the mix there? This whole subject of COVID? Boy, I don't know of anything that has turned our world upside down more than this, do you? Especially in our generation, you just think about how worry over COVID and the results and the effects of COVID have just become an all-time high. And you think through all the things that, are people, that people are facing, people are probably more worried about COVID and its effects than anything else. Questions like, am I going to get the virus? I mean, that's the biggest one that's been on people's minds. What's going to happen? Uh, should I take the vaccine now? Well, that's a big one. People are wondering, can I go to the store anymore? I mean, people are even feeling that. You know what they once used to enjoy uh, just as relaxation and going to the grocery store or whether it was going to a department store, whatever it might be, is just not fun. Uh, because there's so many requirements and all that's brought a sense of anxiousness on people. Uh, even to the point where people are saying, I had somebody tell me not long ago that I feel kind of weird when I go into a store now. I, I feel like people are looking at me and that's with mask or out mask. It doesn't matter. Is this sense that's building among us as a culture and a, a world that says it's, it's almost like a some barrier there that's creating this among us. Now, I'm not saying anything about the rightness or the wrongness of it. I'm just saying that these things bring about a sense of anxiousness for us that we all feel. Uh, parents are asking about the situation. Will my kids go back to school? And some of them are back in school, but they're still wondering what's it going to look like? How's it going to flesh itself out? Uh, what is going to happen with my children? Uh, how are my grandkids going to be okay? Uh, is this the best time for parents might be thinking to bring a child into the world? There's a lot of anxiety that's going on. People are asking, is the economy going to tank? I mean, it seems to be good right now, but is, is that going to turn upside down? Is the stock market going to crash? Uh, the people that we've talked about before, you have loved ones that are in, older, in uh, nursing homes and care facilities, respite homes. Some of those folks are still having to be so careful and they're being 
put in their rooms and, and not being able to be let out. And I, again, I, I get it. I understand it all. I'm just simply saying on the subject, it brings a lot of anxiety. And we feel that. And to add to all of that, if that's not enough, we have the anxiety and the uncertainty of the leadership in our country. All that's going on too. Regardless of where we stand on that, we're still dealing with it. We still feel the effects of it. We lay our heads down at night and, and there are just questions there. What's tomorrow going to look like? We wonder, are there going to be riots that are going to break out in our city over the various subjects? Who would ever think that the guys who have been and gals that have been so promoted as being the good ones, the police, would be the bad guys, right? We just feel this. I was told by a police officer just recently who's a police officer for Albemarle, uh, they said that they were told by their authorities to not worry about um, uh, license plate tags or inspection stickers, but only pull over people that are speeding or there's some threat of life. Go to those scenes, but everything else, stand down. I mean, that's the culture we're living in now. That's the official word to these guys. And so, you know, it brings a sense of anxiety. Are people going to start getting, becoming aware of all of that and, and just throwing the law to the wind, throwing caution to the wind? And how's it going to affect me? So all these things, again, are very, very real. And the truth of the matter is, worry is just simply a part of our life. And it affects us. There's not one of us in this room this morning that can say that worry does not affect me in some way. We are all accustomed to it over our years of life. And it, it affects us in weird ways. I mean, there are people who get uh, digestive issues over it. There are some people who have told me that their migraines have elevated from it. Um, there are stress levels that are growing. Irritation among even husbands and wives and family members is growing. So again, all of these things happen. People have talked about their lack of desire to do things. Well, you know, what's the point? I might as well just stay home. There's nowhere really to go. Uh, what I used to love, I, I don't want to do anymore. And that's created a lack of energy. People are becoming more lethargic in their sense of living life. And again, this whole concept of fear that grows out of worry. And can I just say that worry is a great source of fear, right? The two kind of go hand in hand. And, and when people are worried, they do strange things right? There's a funny story about Albert Einstein. You recognize that name. When he was traveling by train one time from Princeton, he was uh, aboard and it came time for the conductor to come by and to pick up the tickets from the people. And he got to, to uh, Einstein and he said, sir, uh, Dr. Einstein, he knew who he was. He said, I need your ticket. And so Einstein felt around and he couldn't figure out where his ticket was. And he looked and looked and looked, and the conductor finally said, don't worry about it, Dr. Einstein, we know who you are. It's fine, you're fine. And so he left, and a little while later he came back, and lo and behold, Dr. Einstein was under the seats looking for his ticket. And the conductor comes to him, and he says, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. We know who you are. And he stands up, and he says, young man, I know you know who I am, and I know who I am. The problem is I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> so... And so we do some weird things when worry is a part of our life and fear begins to build in our lives. So to all of that, let's just get to the point now. To all of that, the Lord says, don't worry. I'm commanding you not to worry. To which most people might say, yeah, right. I mean, if, if the Lord were telling me that in the midst of one of my fits of worry, I would say, Okay, but you're God, and you can handle things. 
But the reality is, God says, no, you can't pull that card. I am God, and I'm telling you, don't worry. Don't worry. That's a command, and it's a real command. So our task then is not to give excuses, but to obey. Because he's God, right? And that's what we do. We obey God because he's God. He's not looking for our excuses. And when we obey, he also wants us to live a life free from worry. Now, I could give you an outline of how this section breaks down, but just understand simply that there is a command that we see in verse 25 that the Lord gives to us. And then the rest of this chapter gives to us his illustrations on what he wants us to know about why it's so wrong. And let's just say it this way, it's sinful to worry. And that's what the Lord is going to give to us. So let's look at the command first in verse 25. Jesus says now, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Okay, now to understand the first part of this verse where he says, for this reason, we have to back up a verse. So let's back up to what we've already studied, and that is verse 24. This is when Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, if you remember in that section, in that message, we learn that the Lord is using that as an illustration to help us understand that we have no reason ever to fill our lives as a purpose of material things. He talked about the treasures of our heart. You remember that? The things that God was cautioning us about and how we hoard things for ourselves. And he says, if you do that, your heart will be divided between God and your things. Your stuff is going to take precedent over God, precedence over God, and that's going to be a problem. And so he says in verse 24, you can't have two masters. You can't do that. You're going to either serve one or you're going to serve the other, and your heart will be continually divided. Just as a bondservant is slave to his master, so God's people are accountable to their master. That's his point in verse 24. Never to our possessions. Now, in Jesus' day, it's important for us to understand this now as we go on. In Jesus' day, the master of the slave had the responsibility of taking care of his slaves. It was his unique responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean that he did it willingly, but it was his responsibility or with a good attitude. Sometimes that happened, but sometimes, mostly, it was not with a willful or good intentions, but they did it anyway because that was what was required of the master. But you can imagine if you served under a human master that was not very willing to do what their role required, that would bring a sense of anxiety, right? If you're concerned regularly with your master's attitude towards you, then in a human sense, you're going to be thinking, well, what if he doesn't come through? But the problem for the slave was they had no ability to make their own way in life. They were serving their master, and so their time was consumed by doing the work of the master. And so anxiety would say, how do I do this? How do I provide for my needs? How do I make sure that my family is cared for? What am I going to do about this? And so anxiety would come about. And so the Lord's point then is, in using this illustration is, listen, your father is the master over your life. He is the master you are serving. And because of that, now get this, 
Because God is your master, he is responsible for making sure that your needs are met. Now, please write that down in your mind or in your heart or in your Bible somewhere. The reality is, beloved, God is responsible to meet our needs as our heavenly master. Now, we don't get that because of what I just said. And what Jesus was saying is that in a human sense, we see failures in this way of of people taking care of others all the time. And so our sinfulness says, I got to do it. I got to make it happen. But God is saying to us as his children, no, you don't. Now, hear me, that doesn't mean that we don't do our part going out to do our jobs and living life wisely, but God is saying in your heart, it is not your role to worry about the things that you have or don't have. That's my role. Let me do it, basically. And so he says, don't worry. Specifically, he's not just saying don't worry, but it's a command that says, if you are worrying, stop it. Stop worrying And let's take it the next step, don't ever worry again. I mean, that's the emphasis of Jesus' wording here. Stop worrying and don't ever worry again. You don't need to. And to be even more clear, the Lord says, I'm talking about your life because some people might say, well, okay, I can do that in some areas of life, but what's he really talking about here? Well, the Lord is very purposeful in the way he writes his word. You and I know that. And so he uses this word life. It's the word suke in Greek. It means everything that encompasses a person. So what he's saying is, you can't pick and choose the areas I'm talking about. I'm talking about don't worry about your life the totality of your life, whether it's talking about the physical, the mental, the emotional, or even the spiritual part of your life. Everything is a part of this, all of the person. And so again, the Lord's command is, do not, if we're going to say it this way in our language today, we would say, do not worry about any part of your life. Boy, what a command. Do not worry about any part of your life because the Lord is basically saying there is nothing internal or external to you there is nothing spiritual or physical or emotional or mental that is happening in your life that should give you permission to worry do you hear that nothing there is nothing and so the Lord says you have nothing to worry about would you say that with me I have nothing to worry about. Listen, let's drive it home. Nothing. I have nothing to worry about. Nothing. Can we just keep saying that? Nothing. I have nothing to worry about. That's what the Lord is telling us. And so then he says, if you understand that, then don't do it. Then don't do it. You don't need to worry. And by the way, Again, if you haven't picked up on this already, there are no qualifiers in this command. Very straightforward, very clear. And when I'm talking about qualifiers, I mean the yeah buts. Yeah but, Lord, you don't get this. You don't understand this. You don't feel what I'm feeling. You're not in my situation right now. You hear how we do that a lot? We all, man, we are the biggest yeah but people that there is on the planet. We are very good at coming up with all of the reasons why God is not right about what he's saying. 
But we have to remember, and we've said this over the years many, many times, He is God. And that's why we just say, yes, Lord. And we obey what He says. And so we are commanded to not worry, listen, about anything. Period. That's His command. Now, because the Lord knows that we often worry, and He knows we're going to fail at this, He gives us some more backup to prove his point and to tell us how bad it is to worry and what a sin it is to worry. So let's look at the first one. We're only going to get through two of these today and then we'll pick up the rest next time. Number one, worry is sin because it denies God as being the one who provides true contentment. Worry is sin because it denies God as being the one who provides true contentment. Look with me again at verse 25 and specifically the latter part of it, but we're going to read the whole thing again to get the point. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as what you will eat or drink, nor your body as what you'll put on. There's the command. Now the reason for the command. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, the contentment we seek in this life will never be found in anything in this life. That's what the Lord's saying. He's really asking us a question here. I mean, the question is, what are you going to be content with? And you and I know that man spends, we spend our entire existence, almost entirely, trying to find some sense of contentment, don't we? I mean, you think about it. Whatever you do in this life, it is to find a place in your soul where you feel a sense of contentment. We all are there. Unfortunately, we look in the wrong places often. We think we have it here, and then we realize we really didn't have it. We wish it was over there, or we thought it was over there, and so it wasn't there, so we go over there. It doesn't matter what it is, that's how we operate. It's like the guy who was the pilot and always wanted to be the pilot all his life. And he and the co-pilot had this regular route, and they're flying over this part of the canyon that they're looking that the pilot regularly looks down on, and finally the co-pilot one day asks him, why do you always look over at that spot every time we fly over this place? And he says, well, that spot right down there is where I used to fish as a boy. And when I was down there as a boy, I used to look up in the sky and I'd see a plane fly over, and I used to wish I was the pilot. And now every time I fly over as a pilot, I wish I was back there just as a boy fishing. <laughs> I mean, you, you see what I mean? We just, it's, it's incessant. We're constantly striving for the next thing to find some area of contentment. But what Jesus is hammering away at is nothing in this life will bring you contentment. Not like you're really looking for. God is the source of contentment that our hearts need. God is our source. Nothing else is going to do. There's no amount of stuff. If you back up to the previous verses, this is what he's saying. The treasures that you're looking for and that you hoard for yourself are not going to give you the contentment you're looking for. And to look for those things in anyone other than God is sin against God because he's already told you he is the provider and he will meet your needs. And so there's a question as we just think about our stuff here for just a minute. All that stuff that you and I take so much time to care for, who does it really belong to? I mean, can we just be honest about that? Now, somebody will say, well, it belongs to me or my wife or my husband. No, the reality is all that stuff belongs to God. 
Everything that you have right now in your possession that you call your name, everything that has a title to it or everything that belongs to you in a legal sense that you say belongs to you really belongs to God. Everything. All your bank accounts, your cars, your retirement, everything. It all belongs to God. And get this. God loans it to you. God says, here, you can use some of my stuff. Go create a bank account, put your name on it, but remember, it's mine and I give it to you, so you take care of my stuff until I'm done with you and I'll call you home and everything will be great. And you say, well, I don't know if it works that way. Well, that's what the psalmist says. In Psalm 24, 1, he says, the earth is the Lord's. You say, okay, I get that. He made it. But he goes on and says, and all it contains. All it contains. He's not qualifying anything. He says the world and those who dwell in it, not only all its stuff, but even you and me, we belong to the Lord. And not only does everything belong to the Lord, but he is in control of everything. First Chronicles 29, 12, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. And by the way, it would go on to say also that God also tears down. God rebuilds. God breaks down. God removes. God adds. Because he is the controller of all things. Daniel could let Ray, uh, rest his head on the belly of the lion in the lion's den because he knew God was in control of that situation. Don't you think? I was telling the first service that I never forget the time that I went to a circus I can't remember which one it was, but I think it was probably Ringling Brothers. It was with our scout troop. I remember that. I was just a little guy. I remember being so amazed when I walked by the lion's tent. They weren't even on yet, but they we were kind of walking to our place. If you've been to the circus, you know how this kind of works sometimes. And here's a guy in there in the ring with the lions asleep, and he's asleep laying on the lions. And I thought, man alive. As a kid, I'm thinking, wow. That lion could bite his head off in one chomp. But he didn't have a care in the world. I kind of picture Daniel being the same way, but it wasn't because he had just trained the lions, but because Daniel knew God was in control. If you look at the scenario of Daniel's life, you're going to know that he was thrown in there by some bad guys because the bad guys wanted him in there and get rid of him. But he submitted himself to the Lord because he knew God was in control of his life. If God was going to take his life, Daniel says, okay. But if God spares me, okay. My life is in the hands of the Lord. And that's not to mention people even like Joseph and many others. You remember Joseph is thrown in the pit also by his brothers who hated him. Little did he know at the time that God was using this situation to get him to Egypt so that he would create a scenario where God would ultimately have the Hebrew people in bondage for 420 years to ultimately lead them out, God would, to create a nation for himself in covenant with him. And so Joseph, over the years of his life, begins to get more wisdom and understanding God. And when his brothers show up, the ones who tried to kill him and eventually sold him to this caravan that was going into Egypt, he says to this to them in Genesis 50, do not be afraid, talking to his brothers, for I, for am I in God's place? He's affirming that. 
As for you, talking to the brothers, you meant evil against me. In other words, in their hearts, they were doing this purposefully, purposefully and spitefully to be evil to Joseph. But God, he says, meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. And that's what Joseph did. He stored the grain and the people had food for many years. So he says to his brothers, so don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph had every reason to throw his brothers into prison and have them killed in a human sense. But Joseph knew more. Joseph knew that God was the provider of everything and he was there because God had him there. And we could talk about Moses and Esther and Elijah and Stephen as he's being stoned in the the book of Acts and stones are being hurled at him. Imagine this. And he falls down almost dead and says, God, don't lay this charge against them, but forgive them. How could he do that? Because he knew God was in control even of his very death at that moment. And the disciples gave their lives to Jesus. How, after Jesus left, rather, how could they do that? Because they knew who he was. They'd watched him, they'd seen him, they'd heard him. And they knew he was God and they were convinced. So their contentment was in him. That's the point. Paul was content when he said in Philippians 4, I don't speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. Paul's not qualifying anything here again. There are no yeah buts in this statement. He's saying it doesn't matter what the situation in this life is. I am content. I have learned how to be content because my contentment does not come from from what I provide, but what God provides. He says in verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. In other words, I've lived without. And I know how to live in prosperity. In other words, I've lived with the rich. I've rubbed elbows with the big boys. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering needs. In other words, my life has been all over the place. But here's what he says in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret of contentment. Listen, beloved, God is our provider. He is the one who is the sole provider for us and it is in him and him alone that we find our contentment. To do anything else is to sin against him. Secondly, let's look at verse 26. Worry is a sin because it denies God's ability to care for us as our heavenly father. This should be understood a little bit in our minds and it is, no doubt, because Jesus continues on with the same thinking But he uses a couple illustrations here that are very basic to life, but would have been very important to the people of the day. So notice in verse 26 again as we read that, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Basically, here's a question also that the Lord is asking. He's saying, listen guys, ladies, Do you not know who your heavenly father is? I mean, can we have that conversation? This is what I hear Jesus saying to the crowd. Can we just talk about this for a second? Do you you know who God is? Do you really know who your heavenly father is? That's his question. And then he uses this illustration. He says, let's start with food. I think as he sees 
this subject or sees a little bird going by probably captures his attention. I don't know. I wasn't there, and, and I'm just assuming this, but I have this picture in my mind that he sees a bird flying by, and he says, check out that bird for a second. You see that little guy over there? How do you think he gets his food? I mean, he can't plant, right? Have you ever seen a bird planting? I've never seen a little bird with his overalls on out on a little miniature tractor plowing a field. I mean, I suppose maybe they do it at night. I don't, I don't know. I've never seen one with a hoe in his hand or a watering bucket, right? I've never seen that kind of thing happen. There's no big fancy seed machines behind the birds. He certainly can't do anything else with it, and so he just goes and he gets his food. And when he gets it, he doesn't hoard it either but he just uses it as quickly as he can. Now, I can certainly understand this for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've been trying to grow some grass in my backyard and I've been an epic failure. Went to the store, bought the stuff that somebody told me to buy, did all the right things, followed the instructions to a T, even bought the little timer that goes on the hose for 30 bucks to water the, time, water the grass for the exact amount of time. And I went out there every 10 minutes and I moved those dumb little sprinklers to various parts of the yard for two weeks. And I walk out there and there's not one little blade of grass showing its head until the other day. I was so excited. I saw one little blade of grass sprouting out of the ground, but I haven't seen any others. So I'm kind of identifying with what Jesus is saying here is that that little bird... He doesn't have any control over it. He just goes and gets his food. You're like, well, where does he get his food? Well, you say, God gave him the instinct. That's it. That's true. God did give him the instinct. We know that God created the birds on day five. In fact, in Genesis 1 tells us that. Um, but isn't it amazing how they just find their food? We have a planter also in our backyard that somebody gave us a really nice one. It actually has two bird feeders on it. And um, we decided that now that we're at that stage of life, you know what I mean? Your kids are grown. You don't really have much else to do, so you start doing that kind of thing. I'm not throwing off on that, okay? I'm just understanding that that's what we just do. And so uh, I filled the bird feeders up, and lo and behold, I come out the next day, and those doggone things are just about empty. I'm like, no, wait a minute. How'd they know it was there? I didn't put a sign out on there saying, hey, knucklehead, Eat this. Flashing sign. Come here. No, the bird just knows it's there. How do they do that? Well, this is Jesus' point. God does that for them. They know how to find that stuff. And the beauty of it all is that they're perfectly content with what they find. I mean, I've never had a sign on the bird feeder yet that says, Hey, idiot, pastor, you're supposed to care for me. Where's my food? Doesn't happen. They're just content with what they get and they don't seem to worry about their next meal. They just keep foraging and doing what they need to do until they have what they need. And, and I've never seen any of them stockpile it, have you? I mean, you would think with all the bazillions of birds in the world that there would be stockpiles somewhere of bird storehouses that they could just fly back to to get food from. 
I've never seen any of those kind of things. And you say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Squirrels do that. Okay, so squirrels do stockpile. But here's the thing with squirrels. And by the way, have you ever noticed how fast a squirrel eats? Unbelievable. Little squirrel was, I don't want to distract myself. Okay, so anyway. So squirrels do stockpile, but they don't stockpile for years and years and years. That's what the Lord said, right? Can we just read that? Well, what do they do? They stockpile for just what they need. And then when the spring comes, they go out and they do it again. They just do what they have to do for that particular moment. And that's why Jesus is saying again, listen, as you look at the birds, just understand they're not worried about their life because God feeds them. He takes care of them. And he does that by providing plants and seeds and people like you and me who go to Lowe's and spend way too much money on feed and gives it to the birds, and they go, hey, thanks, right? But no, that's all part of God's plan, where he provides for them through you and me, and they never worry about it. And Jesus says, if God does that for birds, what do you think he's going to do for you? You see his argument? As wonderful as a bird is as a creature, it has no redeemable soul. There's nothing redeemable about it. I mean, the animal world was put here for us for food and to help with our work and to enjoy. But you and I, beloved, are made in the very image of God. The very image of God. You and I can reason. We can feel happy. We can feel sad. We can experience joy and all kinds of emotions. And the best part, we can know God. We can know God, and that's why he came for us. He came to redeem us. He came to buy us back out of slavery of sin, to sin. He promised to us to be sons and daughters of God. And not only that, but he's prepared a home for us in heaven. Birds don't have that promise. You say, no, wait a minute, a bird's going to be in heaven. We'll talk about that later. The point is not about the birds right now. The point is about you and me. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. He feeds them. Why won't he feed you? Well, he will. He'll give you what you need to eat. He'll give you what you need to drink. He'll put clothes on you. All of it will be provided. He made everything for you. Man makes things that are artificial, but he gets the artificial things from the stuff that God put here on the earth, which God provided, and which in all of this caused Paul to say, and my God will supply all your needs. Listen, all your needs. No caveats, no buts, no conditions, he will supply all your needs. How? According to his riches in glory. His riches. So the point is, if everything belongs to the Lord, why are we worried? If he's our father and he desires to provide for us, why would he not do it? He gave us everything we need when it comes to that kind of thing. Let's look at verse 27. Finish up these couple other examples and we'll be done. The longevity of life... And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Boy, is that something we concern ourselves with. Man, oh man. There is not one soul alive who hasn't worried about their time on earth. If they're honest. How long they're going to be here. We are obsessed with it. We fix our diets a certain way. We try to make sure we get the proper sleep. We exercise. We get our checkups. We spend hundreds if not thousands of dollars on doctors to give us longevity. We take natural medicines, we make our own bread, we grind our own wheat, 
We do everything that we can, all in an attempt to prolong our lives. You say, that's not what I'm doing. Well, good for you, but I'm going to say you're in the minority because the bottom line is most people in the depths of their heart are terrified of dying. Terrified. And they will do everything that they can to make sure that they miss death. But nobody's going to miss that. Nobody's going to miss that. So Jesus says, why are you worried about what you can't change? That's God's business. It's not for you to worry about that. In fact, did you know that God has already ordained the number of your days on earth? Now, this shouldn't be a fearful thing. This should be a comforting thing. Listen to what Job said in Job 14.5. Talking about man, he said, his days are determined. The number of his months is with you. That's a capital Y. That's talking about the Lord. And his limits, man's limits, you, God, have set so that he cannot pass. In other words, what Job is saying here is that, listen, man, God, before you were born, determined the number of days you would be on this planet. God determined that. You say, you sure about that? Well, that's certainly what King David said in Psalm 139.16 of the Lord. He says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about before he was even put in his mother's womb. And, your, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How about that? King David, the king of Israel, man after our God's own heart, says, I know that my days are ordained by you even before I was even entered in physically to the presence of my mother's womb. You started my life, and you're the one who will end it. Now, you and I can improve on the quality of our lives. We can do the necessary things that we need to do by all the things that I was talking about to take care of ourselves and live according to God's principles and God's commands and we will have a much better life. That's promised to us as well. But you and I cannot change the number of days that God has ordained for us. You say, well, there's some examples in Scripture of people who ended their life early and God took their lives early and that's true, but in our human sense, we like to think that, oh, that's how that person created a change and God did that. But the reality is God still ordained the whole thing. He's God. Listen, can I just share this with you? And I hope this won't offend you. I said this to the early service. You realize through all this COVID thing, you don't have any reason to be afraid. Can we just say that again? I'm not talking about not being wise. I'm talking about living with anxiety. If your days are numbered by the Lord, and I'm not talking about whether you should wear a mask or not wear a mask. That's between you and God. I'm simply saying that according to the authority of the word of the Lord, your days are numbered by God. And nothing's going to change that. You can make your days better more fun, more enjoyable by trusting and following God and all that he says to do, but God has determined the number of your days. Don't live your life anxious and worried, thinking that you're going to be able to do something to cause God to go, oh, oops, sorry. Oh. 
kind of woke you up anyway, didn't it? If I do this, maybe God will let me stay around longer. Well, maybe in God's divine providence, he's already determined for you to think that to go longer. But his days, are, your days have already been set by him. Listen, we've already said, we don't need to be worried about anything. One of the greatest sins against God is to worry about something that God has said, don't worry about, right? So can we just purpose in our hearts through this whole thing of life to not worry? Be smart, be wise, be careful, be loving, be kind with all of it, but don't worry, okay? Just don't worry. All right, lastly, let's talk about clothing. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They grow, they don't toil, they don't spin. And I say to you like Solomon, in all of his glory clothed himself or did not clothe himself like one of these, but God... If he clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Now, in context, for you and me, clothing is not that big of a deal. It is in the sense that we like what we like. But in Jesus' day, the people basically only had one set of clothing for warm weather, maybe a shirt or two beyond that, and maybe one coat. That was pretty normal for most people. So this is a big subject. This is a big issue. Jesus is saying, don't worry about even your clothes. But clothes were pretty precious to people. They were a hot commodity. They were a necessary commodity. It would be like sticks of wood to an Eskimo. I mean, you know, it's cold in them part of the country. They need heat. And so Jesus' point is, look, look at the flowers. I mean, unlike animals, they can't even get up and go look for what they need. They're not like the birds. I mean, they can't do what they need to do to go find it. They just grow, and they're beautiful, and they're all designed differently and with colors. And, and in fact, look at the beautiful flowers this morning that the ladies have put here to decorate the sanctuary. It's just gorgeous, isn't it? And we do that every week. The ladies do it every week of some flower of some sort, and, and we love flowers because they're beautiful, and they add so much to life, but they have no ability to affect themselves right? Is that logical? Well, that's what the Lord is saying here. So Jesus says, do you notice how the flowers are and how amazing they are? Well, they're like that because that's the way your heavenly father created them. He did that. I mean, he clothed them with all of their variations of colors. He created them for the sizes that they are and the way they look, their shapes and their adornment and everything. And he says, now let's think about Solomon for a minute. Solomon, which they would have understood, was the king of Israel and he was one of the wealthiest kings ever. It's David's son. And he, no doubt, we know from scripture, created one of the most beautiful kingdoms that ever existed. And so Jesus points to him and he says, you know, Solomon, in all of his ability, wasn't clothed like these flowers. As beautiful as they are, they just grow out of the ground and they create the most beautiful colors and striking colors and they just sit there. Your heavenly father did that. He did all of that. And their life is really short. He says it's here and then it's gone and basically it only has one use and that is to give beauty to the earth and we know now it's for pollination and that kind of stuff. But after that, it's dried up and it's useless. In fact, they would take it and often use it in the furnaces to heat homes and cook and those kind of things. But the Lord's point is, as beautiful as they are, they're gone after a very short amount of time. 
And if God puts so much emphasis in flowers and the beauty of flowers, Jesus' point is, you have so much more infinite value than a flower. Don't you think God can take care of your clothing? Don't you think God can take care of your basic needs in life? If he's able to do all of this that we see, isn't he able to handle that? Isn't it amazing, beloved, how we trust God for eternal salvation, but we have a tough time trusting him for where we're going to get our next hot dog? I mean, really? How many times have you gone to your checking account and said, "Eh, am I going to have enough for groceries this month? I mean, okay, that's a valid question. I'm not talking about that. I'm just simply saying the anxiety that comes out of things that are so unnecessary because God is saying to us, your value in the eyes of the Father is so enormous. He is going to take care of you. You He may provide things in a way that you don't think are great provisions, but he's going to provide because he said he would. And he just wants us to trust us and trust him. And, he, and we know that clothing is important to God or he wouldn't have told us what clothing is going to be like in heaven. Listen to this. Isaiah 61. Isaiah says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God for, listen, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Do you love how the Spirit writes this? He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. In other words, you know what God clothes us with? It's easy for him to close, uh, close us with, um, put clothes on us that look like uh, the earthly things, but he's saying, how much more important is it that God puts righteousness on us and wraps us in righteousness. Psalm 132.9, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. Isaiah 59.17, he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. Talking about when Jesus comes back. Simple point. Can God not provide these things for us in the basic necessities of life? Listen, worry is a great sin, beloved. It's a great sin. And it's tragic. It undermines everything that God is and everything that God says. It says basically to God, when we worry, I don't believe you. That's what it says. That's what worry says to God. When we're worried or anxious about something, it's as if we're looking at God and we're saying, God, I don't really trust you. I don't really believe you that you can handle this. Whatever the situation is. Remember, there's no qualifiers here. It's all about life. A lot of things that we don't have worries about, that other people have worries about, but the point is still the same. We worry about a lot of things that we don't need to worry about. And we worry because we are mastered too often by our circumstances. We look at our circumstances and we allow those things to master us instead of looking to the one who has already said he will take care of all of our needs. Stop worrying. Don't do it. If you're worrying, quit. Remember that? That's what the command is. Stop doing that. But yet we do that, unfortunately, all too often. Let me close with this little illustration. 
There's a story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Because I caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply. And buy a better boat so you could do, go deeper in fishing and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, even catch more fish and make more money. And soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman said, well, then what would I do? Well, you could sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. The fisherman said, well, what do you think I'm doing right now? As he looked out onto the sea. You see, beloved, here's the beauty of this. And this is, if I said this already, forgive me, but I think that this part of the message, not my message, but the Lord's message, is so foundational. If we don't hear anything from the Lord in lots of years, hear this. Hear this sermon, the Lord's sermon on worry, because he's saying to us, we have, what? Nothing. Nothing to worry about. Nothing. And you're kind of sitting there like I'd be sitting there looking at Jesus, waiting for another response from him. There isn't anything else to say. But you and I would want to go, but, 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 but what, what about this? I mean, no, nothing. Nothing to worry about. Don't do it. Your father loves you. And he'll provide everything you need in his time. Isn't that good? Our Lord is good. He loves us. He doesn't want us to worry about anything. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And we're so thankful that you're good. We're so thankful that you are a loving faithful father you're so faithful to provide everything that we need in this life whether it be external or internal there might be somebody here today saying but oh, pastor you just don't know what I need internally I have all the material things that this life could afford but oh I so and I'm in so desperate need for something internal that I can't even express it to you Lord, we thank you that you know. And we thank you that that's nothing for you. Lord, in that heart today, whomever it might be, I pray that you would just meet that internal need. Some might be saying, but you don't understand the physical anguish that I'm going through, the mental anguish I'm going through over this or that. And Lord, we're so thankful that you do. We're so thankful that you have the ability to meet even that need. Lord, we're so thankful that even in the midst of this time of COVID when we're so uncertain and so anxious about this life that you're able to take care of it. We're so thankful that you have the power and the ability to get us through what we're going through right now. I'm so thankful that you've created the church to give us a place of belonging and togetherness that we can have one another to go through the challenging and difficult times. 
Lord, we're just so thankful that even in the turmoil of our leadership in our nation and across the world, that you, you can do it. You can give us what we need according to what you know is best. Even if it doesn't look good to us, we know it'll be good in the long run because you always do only that which is good for your people. Even if that means what's good is to take us home to be with you. So Lord, whether we live or whether we die, whether we stay here with plenty or whether we live here with nothing or whether we go home to be with you, we win. We're safe. We have everything. And so we honor you, Lord. We worship you. And we lift up our voices to you in praise and our hearts to you in praise because you've told us we have nothing to worry about. Nothing. So Lord, in the midst of our worry, remember that we're but the dust of the ground because you know we will. But help us to push it away. Help us to remember your words. Help us to remember the truth. And Lord, show us that in our weakness that you have everything under control. Remind us daily. We're weak. We forget. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in each soul today. Maybe there's someone here today that says, I, I, I don't even really know God that well. I don't know him like you know him, Pastor.